Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. This conversation is, is really based on a premise that we are sitting in this room because of a miracle. I mean, just think of the, the, the crazy differences that every single one of us in this room have. You have past experiences, you have definitions about successful life, about a good family, about the way church ought to be. Many of you come in here looking for a church and you're, you got a little checklist or whatever that, that weird stuff is, right? You're church shopping, you know, I don't know. That just, we're weird sometimes, but that's, that's a thing. And, and we've all got different ideas about how our marriage should be, a definition of what godliness looks like, uh, uh, experiences that have made up all of these kind of pictures in our hearts and our minds that end up creating an expectation about life. You, you just take that and multiply it by 10 bazillion. When you think about cultures, and history, and perspectives, and family traditions, and religious heritages. And you just think of the miracle that, that we could come together with a unified heart, a vision, a unified purpose, a common understanding of what it means to be Jesus Church, and move in the same direction together. You, you, you people are a part of something supernatural. And, and, and I think about that over the last 2,000 years. Jesus started his church. He, he handed it off to his disciples, and he said, I want you to go make disciples now of all nations. I want you to baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And they said, okay, let's go do that. And they did that. And here we are a couple thousand years later. Man, what a miracle that Jesus' church has been unified. He prayed in John 17, Jesus did, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Think about that word one. Not two or one and a half or a little bit of me and a little bit, like one. That's a pretty special prayer. Think of this. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. It's John chapter 17. I mean, he, he starts his prayer in John 17 for, Father, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. What, what work has he finished? Well, he had collected these disciples. He had raised them up, and he had commissioned them to go out, and, and he's praying this final prayer. He could have prayed for anything, and he prayed that, that the disciples would be unified and that everyone who believes in him because of their word, that's us, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He could have prayed for anything, and he prayed for unity. Let us think about what has made Jesus' church endure over these last couple thousand years. This miracle of unity. This miracle of wholehearted oneness. Of us going, hey, I'm gonna be committed to Jesus' church, his leadership, his authority, his teaching. One of the most powerful pieces that has brought us together over the last couple thousand years is this right here. We call it the Bible. It's scripture. It's God's word to us. It is the thing that has unified his church through all the ups and the downs over the last couple thousand years. When, when, when there's dangers, when there's uncertainty, when there's question marks, there's always been a clarifier to 
define things God's way. Not to try to bend to every opinion and perspective and, and, and every experience that you have or I have or everything that preference that we want. There has been a clear delineation that has unified Jesus' people and Jesus' church through the centuries and through the differences and through the challenges. It has been the word of God. And the word of God has stood forever. It stood the test of time. It has been this thing that has always called God's people to a place of humility and transformation. God's word is this powerful picture of God's leadership coming into every part of our lives. See, what, what our problem is that we compartmentalize. I go, well, I got, I got work me, and then I got home me, and married me, and dad me, and, and, and then church me, and, and we got these different buckets that we have kind of put our life in. And, but what's so powerful about the Word of God is, is God takes all of those buckets and brings them all together as one. To where we're no longer lacking this thing called integrity, but we are now the same person. Everywhere we go, every interaction we have, we, we are being transformed in this powerful way under the authority of God's word. How has this happened? Especially when, when things have been so divisive. I mean, you think about the division over the last couple, th- couple of years that we've experienced. Man, Jesus' church in about the second century, some of the persecution had kind of died off, but there was this new danger that, that emerged in the church. And it wasn't maybe a, a pressure or a physical harm, but it was this kind of tantalizing desire for more knowledge and understanding and insight and the secret wisdom that, that would lead people into the real special revelation of what God really meant There was this rising, growing, new teaching called Gnosticism in the second century that began to lure people away from the original teaching of who Jesus is. At the core of Gnosticism, there was this teacher named Marcion that moved into Rome in AD 144. And there he got to Rome because it was the center of the universe at that point in history. And he began to use this as establishing his platform. Now you don't got to move, you just got to start a, an account, right, online to get your platform built. But this is what Marcion did. He gets there and he begins to build a following of, of people around him who listen to his teaching and begin to adhere to it. Gnosticism comes from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And, and that was really the core of the teaching is that, that we, the Gnostics, have this special revelation, this special knowledge, this insight that all the rest of you all have been missing out on. If you want to hear about it, come on over here. Irenaeus of Lyon was a um, Christian, a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle, who wrote the Revelation in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of John. Irenaeus of Lyon was a pastor, a bishop of that whole region. He wrote this in, in the second century. Listen to this. He says, error, you know, false teaching, error never shows itself in its naked reality in order not to be discovered. It's hidden, right? On the contrary, it dresses elegantly so that the unwary, the the ones who are kind of easily duped, may be led to believe that it is more truthful than truth itself. This danger that emerged in the church in the second and third century wasn't necessarily the outside persecution, but the internal wrestling with what's true and not true. 
what, what is historic and what is biblical and what is God's leading and, and is this what God would say to me or is this my own idea or their idea or the popular idea? Is this really what, what, what God would call us to? And yet somehow Jesus' people stayed unified under the authority of Jesus' leadership, his word, his teaching. And this is what I think is such a miracle. Man, Marcion was popular and the, the religion of Gnosticism grew massively. It became this massive um, divisive point in the church because at the core of it, they attacked the humanity of Jesus. The special knowledge that they had was that all matter, like flesh, is evil. God came, but he didn't really come in the flesh. He only came in the spirit, was their teaching. And so anything like, like matter, flesh, it's evil. So we got to get rid of This is where we started baptizing babies because, well, they're born evil. So let's baptize them and get them holy quick, right? There was like this, this like, oh, this weirdness about going on that, that people were worried about matter and, and all of this. And this teaching fundamentally goes against the teaching of Scripture, that God came in the flesh. Why is this important? Because the good news of Jesus Christ is that God came to humans, not to spirit people, but to humans. Like we have a soul, we have a spirit, absolutely, but we walk in the flesh day in and day out, and we are tempted and tried, and we stumble and we mess up, and our God came to rescue sinners who struggle through this life. This is the good news, is that God didn't stay at a distance and go, well, I hope you get your act together and, and work your way into my good graces. He said, no, 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 there is no way that you will be perfect the way I require you to be perfect. And so I will send my son, Jesus, fully God and fully man, to walk among you, to be as one of you, to be tempted and tried in every single way that you are tempted yet will remain without sin. Jesus then becomes the substitution for our sin. He who knew no sin actually became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Gnosticism attacked this truth. Why is this important? Because anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, the, the human, the God, the, the, the both, fully God, fully man, Jesus, they have the right now to become a child of God. You have the right to put your faith in Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sin and be healed of all of that brokenness and be transformed for all of eternity. That truth cannot be tarnished. That truth cannot be de degraded or diluted or washed out. That truth has to be held precious, sacred, preached passionately, called to a place of repentance in all of our hearts. This is the truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, man, it's so important that as Jesus people, we recognize, wow, there is like error that happens all the time. Maybe there's religions that have cropped up over the last 150 years. Mormonism is a good example of that. There's little teachings. Eckhart Tolle came out with the book, you know, in 2006 called The Secret. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Secret knowledge. There's, there's, these, there's these ideas about manifesting or these different kind of little teachings that have emerged lately that some of them are true and kind of true, partially true, but not all the way true. They're not, not really lined up with Scripture, and they're tempting to grab a hold of because they work in certain segments of our life or they make us feel better about certain things, but we haven't really filtered them through the truth of God's Word And it's so important that we recognize as God's people, the danger isn't in the outright denial of Jesus and his truth. That would be simple. Jesus isn't real. You'd be like, that's not true. 
It's much more seductive and sneaky than that. The danger isn't the denial of Jesus and his truth. It's the danger is really the dilution of who Jesus is and the power that he has, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he can save you, that he sees you at your worst and all your flaws and all your issues, and yet he chose to come and die in your place. He is fully God, fully man. Like these, these issues are so central that we as a church are unified under. So here, here's the issue, though. Man, back in the second century, most of Scripture was just getting rolling in people's hearts. Second Timothy, that you got your Bible open to, was written in the first century, late in the first century, Paul to a, to a pastor in Ephesus. Paul had planted the church, and then he called Timothy and brought him up and raised him up and then set him there as the pastor, and he's leading the church there. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. I don't know if Paul knew, like, as I pen this, this is going to become scripture. But what we believe wholeheartedly, all these different authors through all these different hundreds of years and all these letters and books and historical documents were inspired by God himself. And what became so clear is by the end of the first century, all these letters that had been circulated were were being actually read and taught and led in the churches as inspired and authoritative. This is a miracle that these collections of gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these New Testament letters started to be circulated and read as authoritative in people's lives. But here's what's crazy. Most of the people didn't read, didn't write. How was it that, that they, 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 they got this truth and were able to stay unified underneath it? One of the practices of the church that has always sustained the strength of Jesus' people is memorizing the truth of God's word. There's a battle that is going on for your soul. The enemy of your soul is always trying to drag you away from the truth of God's love, God's purpose, God's grace. Here's what happens when you question God's love for you. You start looking for love in all the wrong places. That sounds like a country song, right? Uh, you, 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 you start trying to find purpose. If God doesn't have purpose for me, then maybe I need to make purpose for myself. We make the worst decisions when we are outside of the authority of God's promise and God's leadership for, for our lives. God loves you. He has purpose for you. These are truths that are in scripture that you and I can, can submit our hearts to and lead these lives from. The enemy is always trying to steal those. He doesn't love you. He doesn't have purpose for you. See, the enemy of our souls, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, he doesn't have the power to control you. I want you to hear this. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are given a deposit of the Spirit of God inside you, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. That is power. The Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The devil doesn't have the authority to destroy your life and and, and just ruin everything for you, but he does have the ability to lie to you and get you to believe those lies and tempt you into destroying your own life, being drug away by your own evil desires. And so for you and I to understand that, that there is a battle on for your soul and for you to be unified under the authority of Jesus' leadership and teaching and his word, that the devil is always trying to pull that away from you. But, but, but if you don't have the truth in your soul, you are susceptible to those lies. 
If you don't have like a recollection, I, I mean, I just quoted scripture a second ago, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why do I know that? Because I get attacked all the time. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking spiritually. I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. All these things that happen in all of our hearts and lives, I have this tendency to want to give into it. And I have to preach to myself and go, wait a second. This is me. Just like my journal, you would read it. You're like, that is a crazy man. He's like, he is, he is all over the place. He feels awesome one moment. Like the next sentence, I'm a total train wreck. If you just read my, my journal. But there's this sense of like, no, I got I to gotta grab a hold of that truth and keep my heart steady. I got to keep myself focused. I got to keep myself submitted to the authority and the leadership of God. You, you sticking with me so far this morning? This is all the introduction, and I'm like almost over. So how do we do this? Paul writes to Timothy. See, we got to get to 2 Timothy, Richie. Let's get to it, all right? Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him some real simple, clear instructions. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus. I want you to just get this picture with me. Paul's writing to his apprentice, Timothy. He's miles and miles away. He said, hey, what you've seen from me, what you've heard from me, I want you to keep hold of that as a pattern of teaching, a way of living, a way of doing life. And how do you hold on to that, Timothy, with faith and love in Christ Jesus? Those two words are important. Everything that we are doing as a people of God is a matter of faith. It is a constant preaching, reminding, believing, going into a place that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't quite understand. It's like a fog that we are constantly staring into going, God, I know that you love me. It's hard to see your love right now. I can't really feel it right now, but it's there. You promised it. And so I'm going to just, I'm going to hang my heart on that promise, even though my, my, my mind and my flesh and the enemy and the world is telling me otherwise. All of this is a matter of faith. This is why it's so important that we're together. Because we lose faith, don't we? We get discouraged. We get, we get, we get trampled by life. And we need some other people to pick us up and go, hey, it's still real. He's really there. He does love you. He has called you. And he says, with faith, but also in love. I want you to hear this. Keep to this pattern of teaching. It's a matter of faith, and it's a matter of love. It's so easy to take this conversation and twist it into something like, yeah, we got to unify people under the, the truth. And we're going to show them all, like, how wrong they are. No, 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 no. This is a very personal conversation. Your heart, not their hearts, not their comments, right? Not, not on their, you know, feed or their post or whatever. You don't got to get on there and become the truth police. That is my worst nightmare for us as a church, okay? That, that, that we would recognize that this is an opportunity for us to hold firmly to what God is calling us to. What you have seen as a pattern of teaching, I want you to keep it as a pattern of teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14. Guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What is this deposit? It's the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
that you are being given and trusted with a deposit of God's love, of God's grace, of God's goodness to you and to all mankind. This, this deposit is being made in you through, through preaching like this, through small group conversations, through little texts of encouragement with each other when you're, when you're going through a difficult time and you need somebody to call and somebody's going, no, don't give up. Remember, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has something in mind. Those are all little deposits that God is making into your life. Some of you feel like, well, I got two cents in the bank account, Richie. I ain't got much to work with. Don't, don't stress. You're brand new. God is is continuing to make this deposit in you that you and I are entrusted with. This is a very sacred thing. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus' people have been unified under the authority of Jesus' teaching, his leadership, what he has said, the way this life goes, the way your marriage goes, the way this church goes, the way your kids should be, all of those things that you're worried about and anxious about and consumed with, God's word has so much to say about it. This deposit of teaching, pattern of life is being made into you. As Jesus' people, we have a responsibility. He says, entrusted to you. What does that mean? Hey, I'm giving you something that is precious and valuable. It's something that, that, that is really important. I want you to pay attention to it. I want you to value it. I want you to protect it. I don't want you to let it slip away. I don't want to let your heart just get, get twisted up in all kinds of stupid stuff. Keep this thing sacred. You, as Jesus' people, are entrusted with this deposit. Just think about it. It kind of needs to be a little weighty for a second. God is making a deposit. I mean, we could just go back in history. Even this idea of Gnosticism rising up. Irenaeus of Lyon writing his response to Gnosticism. And the way that he was martyred for his response to Gnosticism. He paid a price so that you and I could have a deposit that's been entrusted to us. All throughout history, this deposit that's been handed to us has cost the church dearly, but people have counted it worth the cost. And so for you and I to kind of haphazardly go through this life just adhering to whatever truth feels good today, is a very frivolous kind of mockery of where we've come from, the miracle that we are in the middle of. And so there's a sacred opportunity here to go, oh, I've been given a deposit of God's grace, this truth of his gospel. God, would you give me an urgency and a passion to guard it in my own soul? And again, I'm not asking you to go guard it for all of culture. I'm not asking you to put on a badge and, Call yourself, you know, you know, deputized as the truth monger of the internet or any of that stuff. Don't. Right here in your own heart, just going, God, am I guarding this? Am I keeping the people in my connect group filled with this passion for your truth? If you go forward into 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 14 of chapter 2 with me. Just turn the page. How do you guard the deposit? Listen to what what Paul says to Timothy. He says, keep reminding them. Who's them? The church. Keep reminding the church that you're leading, Timothy, of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. 
It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. You may be right, but you're ruining the relationship. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and listen, who correctly handles the word of truth correctly know how to understand this, interpret it, apply it to your life. And this is a tall order. I know this, but, but it's possible for every single one of us. He says in verse 16, avoid godless chatter. Not a lot of amens on that one. Because this consumes a lot of our culture. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. You'll be led away from the truth. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's a nasty thing. Right? I mean, just think of this. Like Paul's, it's gross what, what that does to your body. It infects it, destroys it. He names a couple of false teachers here. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philiatus, however you say it, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Remember, the danger is dilution. And so avoid these idle conversations, these ungodly chatters, these, these constant chirpings and wonderings and all of this. Keep your heart focused, Timothy, and warn the church. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Quarreling about words, what does it do? It destroys the people who are listening. This is a deposit that has been entrusted to us, and you have a responsibility in your life. This is what's made Jesus' church endure, is that we've allowed this truth to sink deep into our hearts. We've memorized it. We've put it deep in our souls so that as different things come up, situations and challenges with people and relationships get broken and hurt feelings happen and uncertainty about the future just kind of keeps erupting inside of us. We have a guide. We have a deposit. We have a, a source of truth that, that gives our life direction, a step to take, a, a clarifying thought that we don't know how to just sit spinning in anxiety. We can go, oh, that's what God wants to do with this money. That's how God wants me to love my spouse. That's what it looks like to forgive that friend that hurt me. Oh, now I understand what that, 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 that looks like for me to live in relationship with other people. See, this deposit, remember I said it at the beginning, God's word speaks to every area of our lives and is bringing it all into unity under his authority and his leadership. This is a lifelong process. So don't get discouraged that you're not there yet. Join the club. This is Jesus' church. None of us are there yet. We're all coming from wherever we've come from with whatever we've had and whatever we've done. And we have an opportunity to guard this deposit, to avoid that, that dilution of our hearts. If you go forward, I love this. He calls, he calls Timothy to be prepared in chapter 4. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 2. He says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be prepared in season and out of season. Remember, the enemy doesn't attack when you're all ready for him. He doesn't try to get you to doubt when everything works good. He prays on you. He watches. 
He knows your buttons. He'll, he'll give your spouse the line that they needed to push that button. I don't know how he does it, but it's horrible. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. Listen, with great patience. Careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations for life. Don't get freaked out. Don't get caught up. Don't get, my, my friend in Idaho used to say, don't get wrapped around the axle. I'm like, that's, okay. <laughs> I get it, I think. <laughs> Cars and things, right? In, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. I love that. What's the work of an evangelist? Telling everybody that you know about Jesus. You know what's so amazing? You don't got time for godless chatter and myths and wives' tales when your heart is aching for all the people in our city that don't know Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Be prepared. Battles come when you least expect them. Have God's word in your heart. The practice is memorizing scripture. All of this to say, how has Jesus' church endured? Jesus' people through the last couple thousand years have figured out how to get the truth of God's word deep into their soul. They're not relying on Google when temptation is surrounding them. But there's just like, no. In the days when they struggle feeling loved, Jesus' people can remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That before the foundations of the world, God chose you. He predestined that you would be adopted as his son or daughter into his kingdom. And in his foreknowledge, he saw you and he loved you and he drew you to himself. They were not swayed by a sense of insecurity about our worth and our value. We can remember that God sees us as his masterpiece. Not a mistake, not all the brokenness that we've caused, but as a masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good work that he planned long ago for each of us to do. These are all scriptures. John 3, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2.10. That you would have this locked in your heart that, that you would go, man, when I, I'm struggling to forgive myself, I would remember that, man, Jesus, you actually became sin for me so that in you, I might become the righteousness of God, that when God sees me, he no longer sees my sin, but he sees the perfection of his son. He doesn't call me condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, whom the son sets free is free indeed. 
that we have the power to preach this truth to ourselves, unify our hearts under the authority of Jesus' leadership and his teaching, and to keep our hearts steadfast through the difficulties that come our way. And as we're praying for Ukraine, and I'm thinking about so many of you that are part of our church, you have family, friends there in that part of the world, and I just, my heart just aches, and I have to go, God, what do you, how do we love the way you want us to love, God? Like, there's this filter that just has to emerge as every new difficulty just comes up in our life. None of these things we planned for or prepared for. God, would you just give us an anchor in our soul that keeps us steadfast, that keeps us focused, that keeps us loving, that keeps us serving. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, hungry, tired, and the devil came to him. The devil came to tempt him, to give up God's plan, and to go the devil's way. And so he began to offer him these temptations to become powerful, to become known, to turn stones into bread. You're hungry. And every time the devil came to him, here's what Jesus did. He quoted scripture. He had scripture in his soul. And he was able to combat the devil himself in the middle of the most vulnerable time of his life. When he's weak, tired, hungry, isolated. Think about the insecurity. He's about ready to start his public ministry. What are people going to think? All the people I grew up with. How is this all going to go? And yet Jesus is able to combat the devil every single step of the way. Even when the devil uses scripture to try to twist it, to try to get Jesus to go with him, Jesus knows the truth of that scripture and doesn't allow the devil to lure him away. So that's my hope for us as a church, is that we would memorize scripture. You'd memorize one a week, you'd memorize one a month, you'd take a chapter. You go, I don't know which ones to memorize. Ask the people in your group. Ask the people around you today, which ones should I put in my heart? What are those ones that you're quoting up there, Richie? Like, what is that? You got you to figure this out, real life. My hope is to put a fire inside you today to not allow yourself just to ho-hum your way through this and hope that it works out, that you would recognize this is a battle and that you are in the middle of it and the enemy wants to distract you and lure you away. And God is calling us today to become a strong people, an enduring church. Let me pray for you. Would you stand to your feet? God, you see your church here today. You know every story, every pain, every uncertainty. God, and I do just pray especially for our friends here, God, that have loved ones in Eastern Europe, God, that you would just be their peace and their strength today, God. I ask, God, for those that need salvation in this room, that you give them the courage to repent and turn to you right now, Jesus. That today would be the day of salvation. Those that need comfort, healing, God, that you would just be their healer. And Lord, as a church, that you would just strengthen our resolve, God, to put your word deep, deep in our heart, God. Make us a strong people. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much, and we'll see you next time.